Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Forever Dog Just between us hey. Just between us hey. Hello, I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, director, and big time burper. Oh my god, hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, um, lover of matte lipsticks. Oh yes, you're wearing one right now, it looks nice. I, I only get makeup from drag queens. I think that's <laughs> the only people you can trust. What I, do you mean, like, like, their, like their makeup their lines? Their lines, yeah, oh. their makeup lines. I think they're the only people I can trust to make <laughs> lipstick and makeup that lasts. Uh, I'm really, I'm learning a lot about like the color tones that make sense. Like I, I think like pinks and reds are where it's at for me, (laughs) but they make, I mean, it's like, of course they would know the most about makeup. They wear, they wear it more than their job. That's their job. So like really shout out to Trixie Cosmetics and Kimchi, uh, Chic and just all the, the drag queen makeup lines, Lisa Edwards, all you guys are saving my ass. So I appreciate it. <laughs> this is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games and brutal honesty. Can I tell you, um, about a homophobic email I received? <laughs> Please do. Um, trigger warning because this upset me so much. And I think it was worse because it came from someone who was very Mm well-meaning. Um, but it was like a professor at a school. They emailed me to ask if I would speak in their class as a representative of the gay community. And the way that they framed it was like, we want to have you come speak because the gay community is portrayed a certain way in the media. And we want you to show our students that it's not that way. And I was like, okay. What, and what way? The, I'll say, because this <laughs> is where I got really triggered and had a panic attack, is he was like, you know, the thing that we see about gay people is, direct quote, flaming drag queens at pride. And that we just want you to come and show that gay people are regular folk. And this person put this in writing, so it would Correct. be there forever? Great, 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 uh-huh. great. Um, this is, um, someone my family knows tangentially. So it's not just like a random cold, cold ask. Um, I did not realize that I still had that level of reaction to homophobia that I Mm -hmm. like, you kind of think like, well, surely I've experienced it all like grown, you know, like what could possibly, but like, I think it was worse because it came from someone who 
absolutely thinks he's a good person and like does isn't like it's not like as clear as somebody like screaming the f word not fuck the other f word at me out of a car Mm -hmm. which is confusing thing to happen to a gay woman but whatever um versus like someone who like means well and then they said that as part of their lesson plan they try to send people to places they wouldn't normally go and to one of the things they mentioned is that they have sent homophobes to gay bars and that also caused me to have a panic attack because the the gay bar is such a sacred safe Mm -hmm. space for queer people it's like the only place that we can go like if you're a straight person in a in a gay bar like you're you're blessed you know what I mean like you can go have a great time love that for you but like it's not about you it's like a a safe place Mm -hmm. for this particular group and to and there's one thing to like sending straight people to a gay bar but it's another thing to like have a student who's like an active homophobe and send them to a gay bar Mm -hmm. like which is just so centering of your own experience like it's more important that this homophobe have this experience than it is for like the gay people in that place to feel safe um and so the whole idea of that really like jarred me and made me have like this very terrible feeling in my stomach and there was also other stuff where like he talked about how the class is like a a safe space for all kinds of conversations and that sometimes they say the n-word and like all these things yeah. Yeah. And, and this um, is, are we allowed to say what his job is? Is a professor of multi-ethnic reporting. White person. Yep, you heard it here first, folks. This White man person. is a professor of multi-ethnic reporting. And I struggled a lot because I mean, I'm talking about it on the podcast, so whatever, but I, I, I didn't know what to, there's like, other things at play here. He has a child who is trans, who I am friendly with. Um, and he misgendered the child in the email. Like, I'm upset. You've been just like, yeah, of course. I just said that I'm not a good fit. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't really express why. And I, I'm even hesitant to be like talking about it here and like call it whatever, calling it out here because of the kid. I don't Mm -hmm. want this person's kid to feel embarrassed. I don't want this person's kid to, to feel like, Oh my God, my dad's out here. Like whatever. I'm not sure what the thing to do is. I've thought about reaching out to the kid to maybe say, have them talk to their dad, but I don't want to put that effort on them. Do you know if they are in a good relationship with each other? Yeah. Well, I think they must not have any idea that that's, I, that's how what they're going to say. Right. And so, you know, I was talking to my friend and I was like, I, I think he's, a, they were, they said something like, oh, it sucks that this person has a shitty dad. And I was like, I don't think they do. Like, I think they're a great dad. Like, I think their dad is like, has always been in their life. Is like a good person. Like, I think the dad is like a really good dad. Mm. And those two is things. He, can though, I, if he's misgendering yes. his own child. I don't want to say how I know the family, but like, as far as I know, the family, like very in their involved in their lives, very like loving, like is on their Instagram pages as like a good dad. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And those two things can coexist. <laughs> like, You mm-hmm. can be a good dad and like, also like 
make these missteps that then I'm like, it wasn't intentional. Like maybe it, it is my job to say something, but, and it's also the added thing of like, Oh my God, they're teaching students. And, um, it was like maybe one of the most stressful emails I've ever received. It made me so yeah. anxious one to 11 anxious anxiety immediately. Well, um, you, know, you can always take a few more days and figure out if you want to do anything else about it. You don't have to decide right away. Yeah. I mean, there was, it was just like hit after hit after. <laughs> um, and I got really like heated talking to my mom. Cause I was like, you don't like those drag queens at pride. You don't like me. Mm-hmm. Like you don't like flaming quote unquote gay men. You don't like me. Right. Like there is no, like we are, I am not better than anybody. I am not like normal. I am not here to represent like normalcy. Like I, and also like the idea of like juxtaposing gay people with regular people is like, like I no, like, and I was trying to like, I, and I'm not like one of the good ones. And like, it just like, <laughs> well, that concept I, doesn't even exist. It's no, not, it's a false just, I- idea. And like, I was like, no, absolutely not. Like, and I think, even in the gay community, sometimes there's a vision, especially mm-hmm. because I'm like currently femme presenting, I'm cis, I'm like, you know, whatever. And so like, but I'm like, if you don't like, like, if you don't like the, the like black trans sex worker, you don't like me mm-hmm. period. And, and done with, there's no, no, there's no discussion here that it's the same, not in our lifestyles or in what we're struggling with or anything like that. But like, the people that you're disparaging as being like, but they're not like you, a like white successful queer, you know, like in a career that we deem acceptable queer, like, no, that person's closer to me than you will ever be. And like, mm-hmm. no. And like, I ooh, just like made me so upset. I'm so sorry. It just like, I, I yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know. And then like, is the mistake that I, I don't like do speak to the class and just talk about how this is stupid and this is bad. I feel exhausted. Yeah. I mean, I think you take a few more days to figure out what you want to do. I think there's also an avenue where you tell the university just because I don't like that this person is in a position of power and is influencing people's ideas and knowledge and education and but you have to also protect yourself. So if that's too traumatizing for you, you absolutely don't need to do that. Yeah. And if that's also just like, you feel like a, a, a personal issue in that you have this relationship with their child, then you also don't like, you don't have to do anything. You, know? you can just let sit with it and see if you decide to do something. He also described his work as a reporter as covering the hood. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm sorry. When does the trigger warning end? It just yeah. keeps going. It just, let me tell you, it was the, it was the greatest <laughs> of person who thinks they're cool and good. You know, one of the things I'm learning in school, learning a lot about microaggressions and micro assaults, and that's obviously what all this is, um, where like they don't realize that they're being so unbelievably hurtful and offensive. And Part of it is what we can do is use our privilege to call them out, you know, because a lot of times. Call them in. Call them in. Yeah. 
which is like, like, you know, to privately be like, Hey, look, man, mm-hmm. this is not great. Versus yeah. like me posting the email on the internet, which you were like, post it. Post it. <laughs> I, this was, I, I just have the issue with him being a professor. I know. It, like, so that's where I feel more energized to let this be known that this is not okay. <laughs> I know, but I, um, the only reason, truly the only reason is because of their trans kid. And I don't want the kid to have any backlash. So maybe you just talk to him privately. You say, maybe you write an email explaining your reaction and all the things that he said that were incorrect and hurtful and wrong. And, you know, and, and hopefully if he is the kind of person you are describing, that he does love his kid, that he is a family man, like maybe he'll, it'll be kind of a come to Jesus moment for him. Maybe no one has ever, maybe people have been cringing at what he's been saying for years, but no one's ever said anything. Yeah. I think it's the type of person who is a liberal, is a good person, like is whatever, but has this idea of themselves as being like cool in the sense of like, I don't follow the rules. Mm. You're telling in this class, the university says we can't curse, but in this class we say that, and you know what I mean? Like, like I, you know, I'm going to shake you guys up. I'm fucking dead poet society or whatever the shit, you know what I mean? There's more than that. There's more than that happening because I know like, Nobody should, no white person should ever say the N-word under any circumstances. I I mean, uh, uh, that's not uh, like being like my, one of my professors like says fuck all the time. And like, that's great. And like, she does it as like part of when she's a therapist too, but that's just the way she talks and that's whatever that that's very different than, than using the N-word. This is not a a secret. He, he, he was, it was in, it was like in something he had written about being a teacher like it was a published article where he said that he did that well again maybe he just hasn't had his reckoning maybe nobody has has confronted him about this yet and it sucks that maybe you might have to be the one that does it but I also think that you're more than capable and strong enough to do so yeah thanks Anyway, what an uplifting beginning. Trigger warning (laughs) over. Although, who knows? This whole show is a trigger warning, to be honest. (laughs) Um, Well, also, you know, I would give yourself a week. I would sit with it for a week and then see what you want to do in a week. Okay. Because chances are he'll still be very problematic in a week. (laughs) We've got a great episode (laughs) for you guys this week. (laughs) Welcome to your daily dose of uh, life's hard for everyone and uh, homophobia is rampant even among the left. Okay, we're excited to talk to our guest Sarah Marshall all about the satanic panic. I can't wait. I'm obsessed with this is like someone that I have a massive intellectual crush on. Me too. I'm I'm like very excited. Like I have, you know, I'm still struggling to find joy, but I'm like pumped to talk to her. She hosts an incredible podcast called You're Wrong About, which we'll talk about. But later on, we're going to be discussing our divided nation and how we can reconcile that so many people voted for Trump. This is a fun episode. I mean, Jesus Christ. You know, here's the, what you're going to get from JBU, okay? You're going to go from just devastating trauma to to discussions of microaggressions that make you want to vomit up a pit in your stomach right into uh, uh, an international question that will surely also be traumatizing. 
into our divided nation. And then with Sarah, we're going to talk about Satan. So I don't know what you guys want from a podcast because this one has everything. We are like those clubs that Stefan describes on SNL. Like we have it all. I'm most excited for Satan, I got to tell you. But first, hit it. International question. International question. International question. Robin, Scotland. How do I find balance and routine while working from home? I'm struggling with the endless monotony of working from home. I was sent home from the office on the 17th of March and haven't set foot in a workplace ever since. Oof. During that time, I've changed jobs and have started at a new company fully remote. Given the new lockdown restrictions being introduced in my country, it's unlikely that I'll be back anytime soon. I'm really starting to struggle with the Groundhog Day effect of working from home. I feel like I do the exact same thing every day, which is making me feel very flat and depressed. It's hard to escape the endless dishes and our flat gets messy easily. And it's a small one bed, which can get me down as I don't like disorder. How do I, one, come to terms with the fact that this is the new normal, and two, find some balance and routine whilst being stuck indoors and add a bit of excitement back into our lives after seven months of work from home? So as somebody whose <laughs> life imploded <laughs> during lockdown, um, a lot of what I, you know, I, I know that in my journey to heal from this breakup, I don't even want to call it a breakup. I want to call it being left. Is that allowed? You're allowed to call it whatever you want. Okay, great. Call so it- I feel like breakup implies that there was some mutual decision-making and there absolutely was none. Yeah. So I will say, as I process being left by my fiancé... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you need to give it the gravity that it deserves. <laughs> um, I have thought a lot about how much of this is because of quarantine. Mm. Like, how much of this is because we were stuck in the house... 24-7 and there was so much time to ruminate and there was no time apart and I, I'm not going to get into the specifics of, of what I think happened but because it's not my story to tell but I do understand how this can be incredibly mm-hmm. disruptive to your mental health how it can make you question life is life worth living do I want to live mm-hmm. here do I want to live with this person like feeling so trapped uh, getting to a point where like you don't get excited for anything. And that f- mm-hmm. now feels normal, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say that first off, and I've said this a thousand times and I'll continue to say it is that you need work hours. So mm. I think, especially with this new work from home format, everyone knows that everybody is just sitting around and that they're accessible at all times or that I, I think it's really helpful to still act as if you are going to the office and then leaving the office. So even if you have just like an area where you work and then you don't sit there unless you're working Mm -hmm. Um, and you can kind of create that as your, as your boundary of like, um, this is my work area. And when I'm not there, I'm not at work, even though technically it is the same room. (laughs) Don't work in bed. I'm so guilty of that. I do that so much. Yeah. I never do. Don't I work in bed. Don't do that. I drink a lot of coffee all day long. Don't do that. Basically my advice is, Hey, don't do what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> I will say one thing in terms of having work hours is I wake up and I shower, I do mm-hmm. my hair and mm-hmm. I do my makeup. I have gotten in lockdown. I've nailed the wing liner. Like I am, I, I am okay. I'm not nailed. Nobody's nailed wing liner. Let's not <laughs> act like I, you know, changed the world. But I just think like I have 
become, I mean, I'm, maybe that's not your thing, whatever your thing is, but I have like gone full hard at like, uh, like hot girl shit where I'm like, hair is like curled. I'm like, I shower. I'm like, you know, I'm going to do like white strips like whatever, like just like trying to like, if I lay down and I'm like, I feel like garbage, I feel like fucking garbage. I, I get up and I like get dressed up for nothing, Mm -hmm. for no reason. I fully dressed up. I wear a ball gown right now. I don't give a shit. (laughs) Like, and like that is, I think helps break up the monotony, even if, and I'm going to, this is going to sound ridiculous, but even if it's like today is a blue eyeshadow day and tomorrow orange eyeshadow day, who can say? And like, just like, I also take pictures so that I can look back and be like, no, that was a different day. I looked different. I had green lip, you know, I had green lip color on whatever it is. You know what I mean? Um, No, I think, I think (laughs) it's really important to have still established things to look forward to. Mm-hmm. So even if that is just like on Friday nights, you know that you order takeout and yep. maybe you know that you bachelor, order takeout. Bachelorette for, Tuesdays. Right. Like Bachelorette Tuesdays, like kind of still try to create events in your week that mm-hmm. feel different and that feel like something you can look forward to. So it can be like getting food from your favorite place. It can be like rom-com Saturday nights, you know, mm-hmm. just like, like social events, even though, yes, it is just you and whoever you live with. Like, mm-hmm. so or it on feels Skype with people or on Skype. Yeah, exactly. And, and I watch uh, Canada's Drag Race with Drew over uh, FaceTime. Right. So just like, it's a lot more work, but in another Mm -hmm. way, you're not doing the commuting you used to do. Mm -hmm. So it feels like, oh, this is like, so like exhausting, but also it was exhausting to be social too. You know, we were just more used to it. Yeah. I agree with you about about work hours. I think like, right. So, okay. So here's the plan. Mm -hmm. Wake up, shower, do your hair, put on some, I would add in exercise. Exercise. Um, if you're capable of doing that, I, I really recommend I, for me and my mental health, like I can't not exercise. And so obviously everyone's ability is different, but I think if you are able to, depending on where you live, go for a walk, uh, set up some sort of like little workout area. You can do a lot. There's a lot of free videos online. I think adding a workout into your routine, even if it's just for 20 minutes a day can help a lot because then you're not going to get a stir crazy in your body. I will not be working out, but I will be trying on 45 different shades of lipstick, whatever it is. Then you wake up, then you do that. You put on an actual shirt, an actual underwear and bra and pants, whatever it is, whatever you wear. I, I, uh, I, I, I got my boobs done and I still wear a bra, but anyway, so then (laughs) I, a sports bra, but whatever. So then, um, I I haven't worn underwear in eight months. I, I think I just, you. I'm done with underwear. What's the point? You weren't wearing underwear before lockdown. Yes, though, I was. So really... I was wearing underwear. I wasn't wearing a bra. Now I don't wear underwear no or a bra. It's fine. I feel okay. Both... <laughs> I'm going to give a controversial statement right here. Why do you need both underwear and pants? What are you trying I don't to know. I'm sure there is some hygienic pants. reason, but I just wear pants and I never re-wear my pants. So maybe that's part of why I feel more comfortable doing it. Like I wash I my do. pants every time I wear them. And so I'm just like, this feels oh. better. Cause underwear gets in my here. butthole and I don't like it. Thank you. This is the, you know what? This is the <laughs> one stance you and I can definitely agree on. Fucking anti-underwear here on the JBU podcast. You don't underwear. need both. You don't need, if you're wearing pants, you don't need underwear. And done. Thank you. Thank wow. you. 
For some people, it's more comfortable. For some people, it's more comfortable to wear underwear. This is a situation where it's less comfortable for me, so I made that personal decision. But I'm not saying that for everybody because I know people are going to be like, "I love to wear underwear. If I don't wear underwear, it's uncomfortable for me." And then I have my goop all over. We'll get into care. goop another time. Um, uh, the point is, <laughs> is that you have to have things, and also the other thing is, is that um, th- yes, you get you you, and then at five o'clock or whatever, you're done. And then when you're done, you start to have make dinner time. Then you make dinner. Then after dinner, you have your designated movie or activity of the evening, whether it's the puzzle that you're doing or it's rom-com Wednesday or, you know, we're watching The Bachelorette on Tuesday, whatever it is. Like you got to you got to make your own sketch and Mm -hmm. it has to be airtight. And I think you also need to remember that this is not forever. So almost look at it as just sort of like this fanciful time in your life where you can just like, like the rules are so different. This is like, instead of, I think we've been in it for so long that it feels oppressive, but there is some weird fun freedom to the fact that like, we have less obligations outside of the house. Like we can just like Mm -hmm. sort of like read a book all day if we want to, depending on the Saturday, you know, like maybe look for the things that make it more fun and that like actually like look big picture and be like, Oh, I'll I'll never get to do this again. Hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully. And in terms of cleaning, make it clean up Sunday. Mm -hmm. Get, get, and then you stick to it. Clean up Sunday. Sunday is clean up day. Wake up, do your makeup, start mopping. You have to hold yourself accountable during this time. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy not to, but you you really have to. And I think, again, like you have like your day where you clean and and then like you do it. (laughs) Um, That's it. It's tough, but I also think cut yourself some slack. Like if you were having a great time right now, that would be strange. Like the only person I know having a great time is my dad. Because he retired last year. And so this is his first year not working. And like the world is literally falling apart. And my dad is like, well, at least I'm not working. <laughs> Live your life like Ken Raskin. And that's the motto of this podcast as well. We hate underwear. We love Ken Raskin. And that's the guarantee. <laughs> if you want to submit your international question, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Stick around after the break. We've got a juicy interview with our highly esteemed guest, Sarah Marshall. <laughs> Turtles All the Way Down is the acclaimed number one bestseller by John Green, author of The Fault in Our Stars and Paper Towns. Turtles All the Way Down is now streaming on Max. NPR named the novel a, quote, sometimes heartbreaking, always illuminating glimpse into how it feels to live with mental illness. Aza Holmes never intended to pursue the disappearance of fugitive billionaire Russell Pickett, but there's a $100,000 reward at stake and her best and most fearless friend Daisy is eager to investigate. So together, they navigate the short distance and broad divides that separate them from Pickett's son, Davis. Aza is trying. She's trying to be a good daughter, a good friend, a good student, and maybe even a good detective, while also living with the ever-tightening spiral of her own thoughts. Turtles All the Way Down is a brilliant novel about love, resilience, and the power of lifelong friendship. As someone with OCD, it is so wonderful to see OCD represented in an incredible book. I think it is so important that we talk about mental illness, both in our own lives and through narrative. Buy your copy of Turtles All the Way Down in stores today and catch the movie streaming on Max. Hi everyone, Allison here. 
Anyone who knows me well knows that I love to read. I am always looking for new books, and that is why I'm so excited that this episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. Book of the Month's mission is to help readers discover new books they love and to promote the work of emerging authors. It was so fun for me to get to pick which book I wanted to read this month and have it shipped right to my door. Book of the Month makes it easy to decide which book to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles. They pick some of the best new books for you to choose from. All the books are good, so you can't go wrong. Every aspect of the Book of the Month experience is designed to be fun and special for readers. They have a highly anticipated release at the beginning of each month. Books are delivered in this really adorable bright blue box, and there's a fun app to help you pick your book and track your reading process. They also offer great values on new release hardcover fiction. It's much cheaper than other options, shipping is always free, and with a loyalty program, you get rewards and even lower prices the longer you stay as a member. My first book from Book of the Month was The Husbands by Holly Gramazio. I am tearing through this book. It is so fun. It's basically about this woman who one day comes home and there's a husband in her apartment and she's like, where did you come from? And then she figures out that every time her new husband goes into the attic, a new husband comes out and she's, she's like shuffling through all these different husbands from the attic trying to figure out which one is the best. It is right up my alley and I love it so much. So if you want to take part in Book of the Month and have a brand new book shipped right to your door every single month, go to bookofthemonth.com and get your first book for $5 with code PEDALS. That's $5 off with code PEDALS. I cannot recommend this enough. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, we have Sarah Marshall, who uh, is a writer and is just like one of me and Allison's favorite people. She's the co-host of the podcast You're Wrong About, and she's researching a book on the satanic panic, and uh, we're obsessed with her. Hello, Sarah. Hello, I'm obsessed with you guys back. This is such a delight. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. You have my favorite podcasting voice. Um, so can you tell the people like what you're wrong about is? So I was trying to succinctly explain yeah. it to my, pa- my parents and I was like, I don't know, it's the best. You just have to listen to it. Yeah, well, if you're going to explain it to non-millennials, I would say it's a show hosted by two millennials about things they kind of think they remember, but that were talked about on the news when they were too young to be paying attention. And, and of course, there are exemptions to this because we also talk about Marie Antoinette and the Newsboys strike of 1899, which, you know, I barely remember anything about. Um, <laughs> and that it's us going back to things that were very known and yet very unknown at the same time mm-hmm. and like misconceptions yeah it's uh it's trying to and then talking about you know what was the truth of the situation and what was the myth and how did mm-hmm. we come to believe the myth even when the facts were potentially in front of us which is really true a lot of the time and definitely yeah. happening a lot right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's unfortunately like i'm really i'm so happy that you know, people have found it and listened to it and, you know, that I get to come and talk to people like you about it. And it's super wonderful. And at the same time, I'm, you know, I'm having that, um, you know, the it's the feeling that Jeff Goldblum describes in Jurassic Park when he is watching the T-Rex stomp out of the paddock and he goes, boy, you just hate being right all the time. 
Yeah. <laughs> that like these things continue to pop up due to the, I mean, the, the yeah. villain is always like misogyny or like, you know, racism or like, I feel like the villain is always like, you're like, God damn, it's the same shit every time for yeah, why it's a very happened. predictable show. Like if this podcast were a slasher franchise, people would not think that it was very intelligent because it's so repetitive. <laughs> it's like patriarchy, capitalism, everyone was dehydrated. Yeah. <laughs> White supremacy. Those are the four mm-hmm. main things. I know that you talk about so many different topics on the podcast, but you've been writing a book about satanic panic, which is one of my favorite topics and something mm-hmm. I think not that many people actually know about. So mm-hmm. can give us the brief description. What What is satanic panic and why is it so important to understand how it happened? Yeah, well, you know, I think more people know about it now than they did a couple of years ago when yeah. I started researching it intensely because QAnon sort of is like the mm-hmm. satanic panic getting dehydrated and then reconstituted with like Trump (laughs) Mm -hmm. juice poured into it. Um, But I mean, essentially, the satanic panic began in 1980 with the publication of the book Michelle Remembers, which sort of was the spark that lit this massive sort of field of tinder um, that became the satanic panic itself. Because in the 70s, people had in sort of a mainstream way in America become aware of the concept of childhood sexual abuse as something that was happening in significant numbers. Um, and this seemed to be this astoundingly well-kept secret and something that, you know, the once again, the information was there, but people were not talking about it or were not acting meaningfully on it if they had information. Um, and this obviously was tremendously upsetting to people and created this sense of intense vigilance at the same time that boomers were starting to have their kids and starting to feel like, you know, what happened to me or what I remember growing up with isn't going to happen again. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there's also this tremendous anxiety about women going into the workplace and putting their children and potentially their young children in daycare in the sense of like, should we be encouraging women to not spend every waking hour with their babies? Like, it mm. seems like it's good for everyone, but it feels bad to us, <laughs> the people making choices about society. Um, and it seems to be, you know, threatening the power structures of the nuclear family in a way that maybe will take the the keys to power away from the exclusive hands of the dad, which is actually, as far as I can tell, what causes child abuse more than any individual factor in the American family. But, you know, one of the themes of the satanic panic is that we saw that The home was a dangerous place. The family could become a very dangerous place without anyone noticing. Mm -hmm. And rather than acting on that information, we turned a very strange Canadian bestseller um, about a woman undergoing therapy that appears to cause her and her therapist to unknowingly fabricate memories of her being abused by a satanic cult. And then this book then becomes huge because this is a new concept for people to read about. And then at a preschool in Southern California in the early 80s, there's the first example of a social worker who has been trained by reading this book to look for satanic ritual abuse, gets a child abuse case and starts questioning the kids at this preschool called McMartin about the things that she's learned about in the satanic ritual abuse training. And because they're very little kids, they, you know, 
will eventually agree with an adult who's convinced that some specific thing has happened to them, or one kid will say something or act out a play scenario that the adult will then take to be fact. And then the other kids will be pressured to agree with that, that it must have happened. And if they say no abuse occurred, then it's proof that abuse occurred. And so this happens in California, it gets in the news, and then just these other cases pop up across the country. And that's the beginning of it. That was as brief as I could keep it. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> we're going to stop. I have so I much to dissect. It. Yeah, I want to get into it. So I want to ask, why Satan? <laughs> like, why did America choose Satan? Or Yeah, like, why? What, yeah. Okay, I'm wondering if this is coming off of uh, Charles Manson and the idea yeah. that, like, there's, like, you know, carving of the satanic um like what is it the star or like you know the pig's blood like is this is this coming from the 70s and like manson up into the Mm -hmm. 80s and that's why satan became part of it and suddenly we're like this is about satan like how did satan get in the mix yeah it's weird i mean other than the fact that he just like keeps popping up you know (laughs) satan's like a bad penny he always turns up but also yeah there's definitely a trend there's that weird spooky connection between the Manson family and Rosemary's baby that everyone mm-hmm. loves. That thinking of like something is out to get us, like the other she was waiting to drop maybe was like, <laughs> maybe that's a reasonable thing for Americans to be feeling in the 60s. But there's also this very influential book by Hal Lindsey called Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth that is basically explicitly making the argument that a lot of uh, Christians and especially within the, you know, the growingly mainstream evangelical movement in the 70s and 80s appeared to believe, which is that the age of Aquarius was merely plowing the field for for Satan to sow his seeds. Because like first we have this culture war where like the, the sort of satanic actors got everyone comfortable with like astrology and beings and beads and long hair and relaxed gender binaries. And then you get them to become Satanists. It's phase two. So like, mm. and then, you know, I think it's also extremely relevant that Reagan is elected in 1980 and he's the president who brings the moral majority into the White House mm-hmm. with him and who brings uh, Christianity into the White House in really a new way. I think one of the, the scariest parts of, of this whole incident or continued of, series of incidents is, is the repressed memory aspect, right? Yeah. Because that is, uh, that's something that still, I think, some therapists think exist and like Mm -hmm. will use hypnosis to try to unlock. And how do you tackle something like that? It's really hard. I mean, I think it's, I think one of the things that makes this a difficult concept is that A, you can't prove a negative, which Mm -hmm. is like clearer to us in America than ever before this year of of our administration. Um, And B, that I think the term repressed memory has become so broad and is used in so many different ways, really, at this point, that like there is truth to it. Like we do have repressed memories. Like there are things that you just don't think about for a long time. And then when you do think about them, like I it is overwhelming and you you can be totally shocked by the amount that you recall. The problem is that in the 80s, there becomes this theory that the repressed memory is this very specific thing where your brain has this wonderful, sophisticated mechanism where like, if you experience acute abuse, then your brain will, with this sort of beautiful, intelligent design, squirrel it away somewhere for your adult self to deal with. And then release it when you're ready for it, which 
I think there can be some truth to that as a general concept, but, you know, and especially this idea of us processing stuff as we achieve the stability that we need to process it. Like, I think our, our psyches really know how to manage in survival mode for quite a long time. And I think that accessing trauma has a lot to do with being in a place where you can be vulnerable enough to do it. You were talking about abuse in the home becoming more known. And I think it's Mm. that it's easier to believe that people are doing this for Satan than that Mm. there might actually be uh, childhood sexual abuse or childhood abuse. And also like that the religious aspect of it, what you were talking about really stuck out to me. The idea that like we have to protect the children from like, because these children are somehow like innocent angel, like, you know, in the evangelical way, whereas like, so there's any, so there's any reason and like QAnon too, you can go to any measure. There's any reason to do this, to save the children from Mm -hmm. what is like next, what is like, rather than just like your dad touched you at your house and like, you have to deal with that in therapy. It's like, you were taken to Satan's lair where mm-hmm. Satan made you drink blood. Like it's easier for people to deal with that. You think like than to deal with like anything real? I think, yeah. And I think that, I mean, I'm sure that this is a very human thing. And so I know that it's a very American thing to prefer a huge, terrifying, unspeakably evil enemy outside the gates to something more complicated and insidious and less scary and less overpowering and like honestly much easier to deal with uh, villain inside the gates. Because like if we're dealing with the issue that most childhood abuse occurs within the family, within the home, within the group of people that that the child knows and are part of their life. Um, well, great. Then we have to kind of restructure society or we at least have to rethink this concept that is certainly, I think, very present in the early 80s and that it feels pretty treasonous to even question uh, this idea that the household is fine. The family is fine. The nuclear family will be fine. No one needs therapy. We're fine. We're fine. And, you know, one of the things that I actually find fascinating and I think, you know, is relevant to the the holiday season is that there is this spectacularly deadly um, family mass murder that happens at Christmas of 1987 in Arkansas when this guy named Ronald Gene Simmons, who has been horrifically abusive to his family, for his children's entire lives. His adult children have moved away, married, had their own kids, like distanced themselves from him. They are actively planning to rescue their mom from him. But they all come home for Christmas Mm -hmm. because it's Christmas. Mm -hmm. And then he kills them all very systematically over a period of, I think, three days. And it's just not... It's very interesting to me that we have this pantheon of killers (laughs) in America and Ronald Gene Simmons is not on it because, you know, he did truly one of, you know, I think the word unspeakable is like very mm-hmm. cheap and almost worthless and sort of bandied about by by true crime. But I that is truly the word that comes uh, to mind for that. And we just don't talk about it because it's too close to home, I think. And at the same time that this happened in 1987, you know, there were still... You know, places in the United States where people were spending taxpayer money, you know, searching and searching for the graves of 
these alleged dead babies that these Satanists mm-hmm. were supposed to be sacrificing. And like they never found a single one of these collections of remains like the mm-hmm. Satanists in America. If you believe the satanic panic were <laughs> somehow obtaining and sacrificing thousands of babies a year. No evidence ever recovered. This guy in Arkansas is just sitting around like <laughs> killing his his young children on his own property. And mm-hmm. it's just not relevant. It's not news. Right. That's one of the things that is so interesting is that there was no evidence, right? The only evidence they ever got was these confessions from children. Yeah. And like you mentioned before, no confession often meant that the abuse had happened, right? They had created this sort of like And very much a confession rather than an accusation because these kids are not freely making these claims. Like these are the iconic satanic panic cases. They're very similar to each other. And one of the hallmarks is that young children are being pressured by adults Mm -hmm. to confirm a story. And then they like get one kid to say what they want and they lean on another kid. And that's how you question co-defendants, right? It's Mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah. So so they were doing this to children and then these kids are being ripped apart, ripped from their families. And uh, and then a lot of times the kids then start to believe that this thing did happen. mm -hmm. Right. And it's just like, I think we often think of it as just this like weird time in history, but the repercussions for those families involved like continue to this day. That's what I was going to ask. I was going to say, I was going to say next step, like what were the repercussions from the satanic panic? I know you talked about the preschool and like what, what happened uh, to the people that were accused and all of that? Yeah. I mean, there, there are many cases um, there. We start with the McMartin case, which ended up being, I believe the longest criminal trial in California history, and it just goes on and on. And ultimately, everyone involved is is acquitted. Um, but it, at the end of you know years and years of of you know endless money, endless time, endless loathing by the community. You know this family. This is a family business, and their name is still synonymous. It's still the most known name, you know, of this entire phenomenon. And then there's. There's cases all across the rest of the country. There's people who did go to prison um, and who only were released recently. There's people who remain in prison for Satanism-related charges. Or I mean, the West Memphis Three was also, you know, I think kind of the last satanic panic case that really had the kind of mainstream belief behind it where it, it didn't seem... <laughs> A little, you know, a little bit odd, even for Geraldo, um, and that was in the early nineties. But a little yeah, bit I mean, odd, <laughs> even for Geraldo. <laughs> Geraldo should be on actually a apologized for the Satanic Panic, which is just amazing to me. Wow. Like this is a guy who wrote a memoir where he's like, "I am a full-on rapist." But anyway, and like he apologized for for helping to propagate the Satanic Panic story. Like that's how bad it is. But yeah, I mean, it's it's something that had. I think that one of the really interesting and and tragic things to try and do with this is just sort of map the ripples of it, because there's the obvious stuff in terms of, you know, families and children being directly involved in this and children growing up believing that they suffered abuse, that there is no evidence that they did. And also then having to tell and retell a story so many times that it becomes you know, Mm -hmm. potentially as real feeling Mm -hmm. as a real memory, which is essentially creating trauma Mm -hmm. in the mind of of a child. Um, But then also, I mean, one of the things about researching this for a while is that there are these sort of layers of realization. And like one thing that like 
you know, is a very far off ripple, but is something that therefore reached a lot of people is that I went to preschool and kindergarten in like 1992. And at the time we were told to pat ourselves on the back. And that was something that was brought in because of the satanic panic and because of this terror, justifiably, that daycare workers felt that if they touched the children they were caring for too much, then they could get accused of something. Mm-hmm. Like if, if a child says something that a parent misconstrues, if you like help a child go to the bathroom or something like mm-hmm. that, then like they could have a parent who's convinced that, you know, you have to prove that a daycare center is not infiltrated mm-hmm. by Satanists to believe that it isn't. And then suddenly you're in prison. And so mm-hmm. <laughs> just this tradition of childcare workers feeling scared to touch the children that they are spending potentially the entire day with, like that's, that's low on the scale of bummers, but it's still a bummer. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And what, what parallels do you see with QAnon, you know, because I think that we can look yeah. back at the satanic panic and go, how did this happen? This would never happen again, but it, it, yeah. it is happening again. Mm-hmm. So how do you think we got here? Yeah, was or did we question. never, or did we never really leave? <laughs> yeah. That was my next question was how, how, how is this happening? Because what Michelle describes and what they describe in QAnon, which is like sucking yeah. the blood and souls of babies with like snakes in their butthole, whatever the, the descriptions are. And yeah. he, that's what QAnon is saying too. Even so Michelle I, didn't implicate celebrities though. Like she knew <laughs> when to stop. <laughs> oh like she wasn't like, and William Shatner was there. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I, I think that to me, the, the simplest way to compare both of them. And I would say that we never left the satanic panic. I think we feel like we left, but I mm-hmm. think it's like that part in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where you <laughs> leap out the window of the cannibal family house and you run away, and then you get to the gas station that you were at before, and that old guy is there and he's going to help you, and then you realize that he's the older brother of the cannibal oh, family yeah. and he's just going to take you back to the house, and you're like, great. Um, yeah, I think that's what QAnon is. And, <laughs> I, and I feel like they both, at their hearts, are fan fiction about the president. I think that the satanic panic is fan fiction about Reagan, ultimately, and QAnon much more directly is fan fiction about Trump. Because it really, you know, its origin is like, this is what you have to believe, to believe that our president is doing a good job. And it's this world where he's talking in code and where, you know, decrypting his statements is this sort of, this very sort of Bible study-like activity where, like, whatever weird idea you want to justify, like, there's something in in that Mm -hmm, Santa's bag for mm -hmm. you. And it all comes down to a theory of the world where, like, the person who is obviously actively destroying the country is really saving it. And you just have to, like, get at this incredibly weird angle to see it. And then it all lines up. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that's, you know, that's what the satanic panic was about Reagan and more broadly about the American family, the American home. It's like, dads aren't the problem. The way our society is organized, we're like, it's impossible to flee an abusive situation because there's practically no resources Mm -hmm. for abuse victims and you have nowhere to go. And women aren't allowed to be in the workplace because if they try to put their kids in daycare, then we accuse the daycares of satanically abusing them. But if you're like afraid of your child being abused, then you can't become a wage earner. So you can maybe escape your husband who's like the real abusive party Mm -hmm. like it just Mm -hmm. to me yeah it breaks down pretty 
simply in the end to like, what is the sanest possible story we could use to exonerate the average American man? And it turns out it's like not very sane. (laughs) (laughs) And Oh, man. And also like the the Church of Satan, this isn't even their back. This isn't even what they do. No, yeah, the Church of Satan you know, was founded by Anton LaVey and who wrote the Satanic Bible. And he's like, he's kind of a crappy guy, but the Satanic Bible is pretty good. And I've read it and it's nice and short, which I appreciate (laughs) in a a religious text. And it's It's basically, yeah, yeah. He's like, listen, we don't believe in like a spiritual being named Satan. We're not idiots. We just think it's cool to call ourselves that and freak people out. And it's like, thank you for freaking all those people out. That had no consequences for anyone. Wait, so they don't even believe in Satan? No. That's amazing. (laughs) They just think it's cool. You know, it's just, it's like, I don't even know what it's like. It's like if I, well, I was like looking at nightlights and I saw Frida Kahlo nightlight and I was like, oh, that might be nice for my bathroom. Like, I don't worship her as a god, but I like her style. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. So before we move on, what do we do? Like how, you know, obviously history is repeating itself or it never stopped. Like how do we get us out of this loop? I really wish I knew. Um, (laughs) I, I found it really interesting that we had this moment and discourse right after the election. And by discourse, I mean, Twitter, Mm -hmm. um, but where else am I supposed to be getting discourse? And, uh, you know, this thing of like, be kind to the Republicans who lost today. Cause four years ago, if you were a Democrat, like you felt the way they feel now. And it was like, wow. So like, aside from all the conspiracy theories, like, like if we, if, if we're in a position where people kind of can't see the difference between like being sad that your guy didn't win the thing and being devastated because, everyone you know is in a lot more danger all of a sudden um and because like maybe you shouldn't have a malignant narcissist Mm -hmm. as the most powerful person in the world just in case something catastrophic happens not that it will but if it did um you know so just this thing where i mean i i don't i i don't know how you're supposed to bring someone around when like you cannot agree with them that water is wet you know Mm -hmm. I really don't so Mm -hmm. I think maybe like to me it's helpful to look at past moral panics and just be able to recognize the patterns of a moral panic and the pattern of a false story that has the ability to capture people because I think you know if you can't if it's if it's hard or impossible to conceptualize reaching other people than making yourself bullshit proof is a nice Mm -hmm. start. So, yeah. yeah. What were some other moral panics that have happened throughout history? Huh? Oh boy. I mean, I think like we did a, a, you're wrong about episode on sexting. And I think that's a good one because that's one that Mm -hmm. kind of stands in for like a lot, a lot of different fears that all sort of like rolled together and then came to reside under this this name of this specific thing. And that's something that we've used to criminalize, you know, the act of taking a nude selfie of yourself or, yeah. you know, yeah. And uh, I mean, something recent, I don't know if it's at moral panic level, but I do find it really interesting that there's this very robust kind of debate uh, this year about like screen time. How much is too much? Like, are uh, your kids getting too much screen time? And gets this idea that like 
screen time is the stand-in for like all the worst things you can do as a parent somehow, you know? And Mm -hmm. it's just, I find that so, I find that interesting because I don't think the screen, I think the screens that maybe we need, I have certainly been watching movies and TV nonstop for eight months and it's not what I would choose for myself, but it's the safest place for my brain to be a lot of the time. And I think that it's okay uh, to not expect kids to be stronger than adults Mm-hmm. in that regard um but I feel as if there's a sort of <laughs> there's something going on with with parents fear of like screen time or the idea that like I am doing the correct amount of screen time and my peers are not like there's mm-hmm. something I think I think generally like that might not really be a moral panic but I do think the hallmark of a moral panic is something where like something is truly terribly wrong and we are expressing that to ourselves by focusing on something that's like at best only kind of relevant yeah yes so absolutely well put oh (laughs) yes uh would you like to play a game show oh yeah okay yes Yes, please you know the world's on fire but let's focus on the game show let's come on down (laughs) so this is a game called hypotheticals you and gabby are my contestants i'm going to give you a couple of hypothetical situations you can ask any clarifying questions you may have then you will tell me what you will do or your opinion of the situation and i decide whose answer i like better okay so our first game is america's favorite game show would you stay with this cheater Your partner of five years just got his dream job. After his first day, his boss insists he go to a bar and goads him into making out with another woman while his new colleagues cheer on. Would you Hmm. stay with this cheater who is now making 500K a year? Sarah? Hmm. This is really, this reminds me of a question I posed on Twitter today, which is when did the Simpsons pass the point of no return? which people have very personal answers for, because some people say it's the Frank Grimes episode. And I think that's the answer of people who like would end it all right now. Um, And I, because I don't give up on anything until it's totally scorched earth and I just want to go home, uh, you know, didn't give up on The Simpsons for several seasons after that and still think that there are, are moments and would probably have a big talking to about like what what is hiding in your soul that you would do this for your boss of all people true <laughs> so you're you're willing to work it out you're not going to yeah. leave immediately I want to at least have a big conversation about it and figure it because I feel like this is to me this is like the cheating is not worrying so much as the doing what your boss tells you to do sexually mm-hmm. <laughs> and the and the people pleasing What's yes. that? That it's too yeah. much. I, I think it's too much people pleasing, but five years is a long time. And I feel like we could work on it if they were willing to like go to therapy specifically to talk about like people pleasing. And also maybe if they want to report their boss for sexual harassment. Right. Like what if this is like a pattern with them? Like what right. if we need to take this all the way to the top actually? And Sarah and I will take it all the way to the top. <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but that girl in the bar actually was your partner's soulmate. So, oh, so, uh, what, is, so what is it? Well, you, then, you were a side character in this then, plot. Then he'll thrash away in like six months and then they'll get together anyway. And I can be the Ashley Bartlett Bacon of the situation. There's <laughs> dignity in that. The who? That is the um, alternate love interest in While You Were Sleeping 
of whom Peter Boyle says, pretty high and mighty for someone named after breakfast meat. <laughs> My mom and I watch that every Christmas. <laughs> I love that. Okay, our next game is, are you a terrible parent? Hmm. Your child, five, decides that they want to legally change their name to Falcor. So Amazing. for their so for their birthday, you go through all the legal, legal avenues to do it. By the time they are six, kids start to bully them, and they want their old name back. But you hmm. think they should stick with Falcor. Are you a terrible parent? Hmm. This is very tricky. <laughs> <laughs> I As soon as you said Falcor, I went sweet, which shows you my reaction. <laughs> my dad told me a story. My dad's like an old hippie. He told me a story about a... a people he knew that had a kid that like they didn't let he didn't he got to pick his name when he was five and like the kid didn't have a name did he pick falcor he didn't he my dad tells the story because the kid picked mark which is my dad's name and my dad felt very honored that's lovely but yeah that's what an unimaginative kid i know he could have picked anything right i would have picked something so weird (laughs) take a gamble i i think um i would i would God, I don't know. I I would make them change it. I I don't know that I would have gone through the whole thing to have them change it to Falcor in the first place. Right. Although as someone who wants to support trans kids, like, is this kid transitioning and wants to change their name? But then I would maybe try to steer them away from Falcor. Like, I'd be like, (laughs) how about like, how about we go with like, like Ben? Could we do like an Aiden, you know, like. Or something that shortens to Falcor. Ben Falcor. What, what shortens to, to Falcor, Sarah? Ben hyphen Falcor. Perfect. David okay. Ben Falcor. David um, Ben Falcor. <laughs> 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 now that's a name. I mean, I think that I feel as if the the problem that I have made in this scenario in my initial overenthusiasm was in not simply telling my child who does not know the difference that I did legally change their name and then just giving them a, a certificate that says that. And oh then you know you can just tell the school that or whatever, or say that they like to go by. Like, I, I feel as if you could just lie to them. And then when they got bored of it, you know, or if they did, and then if they were really still serious about it and you can just quietly do it and just pretend. And then when they're 18, you can be like, remember that time when you were five, I lied to you, but it all worked out. And Presumably, that's one of the least devastating scenarios you can describe to someone that way. Sarah just won. So that was, you figured it out, Sarah. That is the correct approach. Uh, oh, great. The answer is always lie to your kid. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm ready for parenthood. It's good. <laughs> wow. Okay. So our final game, neck and neck. Is this person an alien or just rude? <laughs> While getting a COVID test, the technician sticks their finger in your nose to gather a sample. They then wipe their finger on a swab and tell you that fingers are less painful, so they did you a favor, despite not warning you until their finger was already deep in your nose. Is this person an alien or just rude? Can you guys tell I just got a COVID test? Duh. God. Well, okay. As someone who has... (laughs) gotten a pelvic exam and then had the gynecologist who was not my normal gynecologist ask if I would help him write his autobiography. No. I think that this is just (laughs) typical medical provider behavior in this great nation of ours. No. Yeah. So you're saying just rude, not an alien. 
I'm saying like not even maybe remarkably rude. Like maybe there's like all kinds of butch- just I just feel like rude. the yeah, the things that people like don't make a scene about when it's happening because you feel vulnerable when you're having a procedure done or like I'm sure just endless. Oh yeah. my god. I didn't say I would do it by the way, but I also didn't give him a hard no because it was, you know, inside your body it's a weird Uh, situation oh my god um (laughs) i think yeah okay i'm gonna say this person is a a root well sorry but they're an alien with a tentacle finger well that makes sense (laughs) they could really go right up there It's a twist. <laughs> yeah, it is cuter. It's it's if they're if they're if they have more octopus attributes than that, then it might actually be cute. Yeah, it's very cute, but it's also shocking. Well, it's, so you just gotta you gotta tell them. You gotta you just gotta <laughs> announce your intention. The ET finger, it goes up. Your eyes light up. <laughs> <laughs> no, it goes up and it unlocks all of your repressed memories. <laughs> And Satan that's what caused the satanic panic. Oh my We've god! We've come full circle. Yeah. You, oh got, my- you got the octopus COVID test, and then it's all there. Yeah. Oh. I will say, as a final satanic panic thing, I do wonder about how much home VCR has contributed to all this. Because, like, consistently, the language people use to describe unearthing a repressed memory is like your memory is like a videotape. And when you play it, you know, no matter when you're recalling it or how many times or after how long, it's always the same. And that's demonstrably untrue based on everything we know about how memory works. But it is true of videos, which people suddenly had in their lives at the time. And uh, I tried to watch Babes in Toyland the other day and I just cried continually because it reminded me of being the age I was when I last watched Babes in Toyland. So VCRs, it's VCRs fault. I could listen to you talk for a hundred years. I know. Like, I would just be like, tell me, like, tell me everything. (laughs) But unfortunately, there is a time limit. I know. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. I feel smarter just from this episode. (laughs) Where can people find you and follow all of your work? Thank you so much for having me. This was really wonderful. And I feel like my brain has been consensually tickled by an, <laughs> an octopus tentacle. Um, so I am mostly findable on Twitter at remember underscore Sarah. And I do You're Wrong About, which comes out on Mondays. And then I also co-host a podcast called Why Are Dads? About dads in film. Uh, and that comes out on Wednesdays. And... Yeah, and someday you will be able to find me in the real world again. And I'm excited about that, too. We are as well. (laughs) Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about our divided nation. Very exciting and uplifting. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topics! X, 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 baby! Baby! Okay, uh, so today, what? Well, obviously with our first episode back, we, we kind of dealt with my, my personal life a bit, but I think yeah. we haven't really discussed uh, the election on the podcast uh-huh, uh-huh. and the fact that we have a, a new president who is almost 80. Um, and... Look, I think we're very happy that Biden won and he won by over, you know, six million votes. Yeah. But it was still very scarily close. And mm-hmm. so I don't think that we can, like, step away from this election and be like, okay, our, our problems are gone. Our division Absolutely is gone. Not. I um, drove around upstate New York. It's all Trump signs. Yeah. So what 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 do we do? <laughs> How do we you know, because now Biden is coming in being like, let's unite the nation. He's he's people are mm-hmm. trying to appease. We talked about this a little bit with Sarah, but trying to appease the right. And, mm-hmm. and do you think that that is the right approach? Like, what do you what do you think we do from here? I mean, I've just tried really even throughout this election to stay local. Like the the woman that Nithya, who we had on our show, mm-hmm. uh, she won as an update. She won. She won the election, and I was canvassing for her many times and working for her campaign. And um, she won. And and I've been doing phone bakes for John Ossoff. And let me tell you, you know what the people of Georgia don't want to hear from you calling to talk about John Ossoff. <laughs> uh, they are, it's very, I don't want to discourage anyone from phone banking, but they're mean, uh, but you got to do it. And um, what do they and, say to you? Uh, I don't want to vote for that guy. Uh, or like, they'll be like, I'm re- Republican. Don't ever fucking call here again or whatever. But I do, I do. Cheyenne was like, you're a psycho because I call, I do a Southern accent when I call. So, that like, accent that you just did for us? No, that was like a male <laughs> accent. Okay. No, I do like a, I do like a, uh, like, hi, my name's Alexis. I'm calling from the John Ossoff campaign. Um, I was just calling to see if you had thought about voting for him in the election. Um, there's a runoff on January 20th, or sorry, January 5th, but you know what I mean. And I use a fake name. Because I want the people in the South, this is giving away all my secrets. I want the people in the South to, to like think positively of me. So I use the name Mary, like the Virgin Mary. (laughs) So I'll be like, uh, hi there. This is Mary calling from the John Ossoff campaign. Uh, we were just wondering if you were planning on voting in the runoff on January 5th. If you, have you heard of John Ossoff? Do you want to talk about any of his policies? Uh, and that's how I do it. Have you changed anybody's mind? No. (laughs) (laughs) 
Right. So this is what I think. I this is what I my hopeful outcome is that once Biden gets in, we can really work on voter suppression. Yeah. And once voter suppression is under control, I think that the majority, even if it's a slight majority, remains democratic. So we continue to maintain control and potentially in 2022, if we don't get it this time with the runoff, get the Senate and we can Mm -hmm. continue to change policies. And I think that these these Trumpers, they're they're not going to like turn around and be like, oh, we were wrong. But I think in like 10 to 15 years, if these policies have been implicated Mm -hmm. and their lives are better and they have more money in their bank account and they have health insurance, then maybe suddenly, slowly over time, they'll be like, yeah, I guess this is okay. <laughs> I don't know. Like, okay. okay. Or, or they die do do? out. I don't know. No, because young people too. Yeah. I, let me, phone banking for Ossoff, they tell, it shows you the age of the people, mm-hmm. right? So I'm not just calling, like, I'm not just calling, I'm calling like the dudes in the Tinder pictures holding fish. Like I'm right. calling like the 23 year olds who are like, uh, you know, like, I, I'm Republican, I don't vote for anyone, uh, fuck you, like, Trump forever, MAGA, whatever, like, that's who I'm calling, and, and they're 21, 22, 23, like, they're not old, mm-hmm. um, so then it comes down to, like, what do we do in terms of individuals, because that's what's so scary, right, is that there's still millions of people who felt this person is good. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and we live not just them. good, but the other side is evil and we, we know justice and we are correct. Um, and they're every, you, we live among them. They're everywhere. Like, I, I, I mean, in, in Los Angeles, maybe not as much, but like in, in Florida or in, you know, upstate New York, uh, that's like the guy at the grocery store is like MAGA. Like, it's like, I guess I'm at a place where I don't give a fuck about about uniting us with them. Like, no, not I, uniting, but like, how do you exist? I, I just amongst... feel it's like a, it's like a toddler throwing a tantrum mm-hmm. where it's like, I will, you, I just will ignore this tantrum. I mean, obviously I can't ignore it because like people's lives are in danger and there's like mm-hmm. violence and it's horrible, but like to the extent that we can of just like, like, like just so, almost like waiting it out <laughs> because I think that hopefully, like I said, like, I just think over time, like in the way that so quickly it became okay to be so blatantly racist in just this four years that Trump mm-hmm. was in term. Mm-hmm. Like obviously people were racist the whole time, but there is mm-hmm. now this sense of like, I can, I can get away with this. I can like yeah. s- say things I would maybe not have said six years ago. Mm-hmm. I hope that like, just in the way that like, I just hope that that tide will slowly shift again and that the behavior will become less accepted and less okay and and you know because i hope because i don't know if there's any going back like that's what i'm worried about they're already emboldened now they're like i I don't think they're gonna go back i think my fear and i don't Mm want to speak into existence but my fear is that trump leaves office becomes just a cult leader now he doesn't have now he doesn't have the restrictions of being president now he can just like literally run like a mega church of his own Mm -hmm. whatever um and just like becomes a cult leader and starts his own party full of like sycophants and it's just like and and he's and he's just like a cult person with a lot of influence like that's to me no i think that's going to happen yeah why wouldn't he do that 
But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know because like I don't like think Sarah said, like, how do you talk to somebody who thinks water's not wet? Like, I, yeah. I, I'm almost like, do we just write them off as just like this horrible part of our country that we just like, like, I, I also hate the idea of catering to them and no. like trying to like appease them and make them feel better about the situation and make them feel included because they don't deserve that. <laughs> no, I don't know. I'm not, I like am truly not and maybe you're not either the person to have this conversation because like, I truly, I surround myself. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I prioritize safety, my own safety. Right. So I surround myself with, with, uh, people that are, are safe. And like, I don't want to talk to, I don't want to talk to people who aren't, I don't want to be around people. It's hard to like, it's hard to like, I'm talking about like amongst you, right? Like you're never going to be like if you're going to be at the gro- the grocery store and like the guy is going to be nice to you picking out apples and then he's going to say something about tr- like there's been experiences I've had where like the individual interaction is good and then it'll be like they'll say like one thing mm-hmm. and they'll be like <gasps> Right. And so like that to me is even that's like I feel like I'm in like John Carpenter's they live like I feel like I just like put the glasses on I can see like I I it's scary because what do you do when that's like um among you mm-hmm. like it's not necessarily your friends but like you know, I, I it's well, for it's a lot like, of people it is their friends it is their family yeah, it is I'm their community about for me yeah I'm yeah. for me um it's it's like it's really hard. It's real. I don't have the answer. I've been lucky enough to just kind of like, bye. Yeah, me too. Um, Melissa, do you want to come in and, and share your thoughts? Maybe you have better ones than us. Probably almost always. <laughs> as far as uniting us, I don't know. I don't think it's possible. I'm just like, yeah. fuck it. Like, I don't care. It's not, you know what? It's not the three of our jobs. Yeah. I'm sure there are beautiful people out there listening to this. And I'm sure there are beautiful people out there in the world who are like absolutely doing it. Like having the conversations, like uniting us. Like, I love that for you. Um, we will not be a part of it. Yeah. I, I don't have the patience. Like I, yeah. I literally just like, I want them to get in office. I want COVID um, mm-hmm. taken care of. I think everything needs to be shut down. I think everybody needs to be given a check based on your mm-hmm. like, cost of living because like mm-hmm. a $1,200 check is not going to really do anything. Not that I need a check, but like, it's not going to really do anything for me, but in Arkansas, that's going to do a lot for somebody. So like, it needs to be like spread out. It's not yeah. mm-hmm. everybody gets mm-hmm. a base check and voter suppression is also like something I think that needs to be handled and mm-hmm. we need to get rid of the electoral college. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And, and like, Godspeed to anyone who like is doing the work and does have the patience and like, whatever, uh, uh, I will, I will be napping. <laughs> no, so I, you're I'm not doing, napping, you're phone banking, you know, you're, I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing the work. Um, I'm doing the work like within the community and like, I am, you know, I think like with Nethia's campaign, like my goal for it was to like reach the people we could reach who were already mm-hmm. um, a little bit le- like undecided or already leaned Democrat or, you know, like I think those were the people that you could really sway. Um, well, that was, an, with, that was a situation where the incumbent or not the incumbent where the person the guy was, that was already in office, the guy yeah. that was already in office was a Democrat. 
Yeah. But she was the progressive candidate. So it's a little easier of a switch. <laughs> yeah. And so with Ossoff, I'm learning that it's it's definitely different. Um, mm-hmm. And they uh, they don't I mean, it's hard to talk to them like and I'm from I'm from Florida, like I'm from the South, you know, like I I think I've never really had a lot of luck. like there's these narratives of like you just have these conversations they'll change their minds and like my entire life growing up now phone banking for Ossoff all of it like talking to people that are around that aren't just like my parents they're not really open to the type of change that we like build these beautiful narratives narratives thinking that they are like it doesn't I I can't think of one instance Mm -hmm. yeah I agree And then I feel because like I'm so torn, right? Because on the one hand, I'm like, I don't these people are garbage. I don't care about them. I don't want them in my life. But then I see like you see like people being like, you got to, you know, the way to make change is to like reach across the aisle. But I think the way to make change is to get rid of voter suppression and then change policies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I can't control this one random lady who's like so fucking delusional. Yeah, they're brainwashed. They're brainwashed. And the reach across the aisle is more painful for you than it is for them, right? Like, just like the email we talked about in the beginning of the episode, that will cost me anxiety, emotion, mm-hmm. like time, um, like, and what will, and, and that's a guy who's like a liberal probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to me, like even, even interfacing with people like trying to get, you know, my parents, like friends to try to like vote for Biden, um, there's, it just was like, there, it was so exhausting for like no effort <laughs> for mm-hmm. like, no, for no results, no so much off, effort yeah. for no payoff. And, and for them, they were just like, what a conversation we've had, you know, like <laughs> they're not, they don't need to like lay down. Do you know what I mean? So like, fuck them. It's not, yeah. I think they think it's life or death for them, but it's not, it's not to the level that it is for so many. I people. have never, I mean, this is my own experience again, like I have never interfaced with someone with like super conservative views in and had them get to the level of emotional involvement mm-hmm. that that I have they right. their their concepts of policies are like removed or they like what's the only thing I can think of is is people who are um anti-abortion yeah I was gonna those, say that those people get emotional mm-hmm. but everyone else it's like taxes mm-hmm. coming out of like, you know, moral superiority, like the, you know, it, it, their, their arguments are not the type of things that would generate emotion. Right. Whereas like the left and like my experience, the, my, our side does. Well, because and we're like, fighting which, for basic human for rights. Our lives, for her, <laughs> that's what I'm trying to say is that like, it's not comparable. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I hate this narrative of like, well, we've just got two halves of this country. What are we going to no. do with them? No. And acting like they're the same. And they're not the same. They're not the no. same at all. And that's what that's what's frustrating to me mm-hmm. is like that they don't realize that they're not the same thing. Right. And they're and taking like, it's not politics. It's not politics. It's just caring about other people. Mm hmm. And the media is so complicit in portraying it as if it's just two different opinions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, that is a thing I would love to change. I would love to see the media report it as it actually is. Mm-hmm. But it seems They unlikely. were doing that a little bit on, on election when Trump was like, I very enjoyed the chi- much the chirons that were like 
despite no evidence, Trump says election <laughs> rigged. Like that's what it should have been the whole fucking time. The whole time. It should yes. it should always be like that. And the thing yeah. is, like, it's going to just go back to what it was before. I know. I know. It's that's just like why they knew, they knew that he was going out of office and it wasn't gonna hurt anything. And so yeah. they're like now we're going to go back to how it was before because this is how people feel safe and that they can trust us. We just have to be just, we have to be just as hard on Biden, just as hard, like even more, like we have to like keep pushing like super progressive policy. Like we cannot go back to being like, whoo, Democrats, like Mm -hmm. that's over. It's done. It's canceled. We're not doing it. We also have to recognize that it's not just about like two Senate races that like the boots on the ground for all these local elections, for Mm -hmm. getting state legislators, for like, you know, these like lesser known like Senate and Congress races. Like we have to really zoom out and think big picture, but then also so micro. Mm -hmm. I also think, you know, we got a victory in a sense and, and we... We got to run with it. We can't lose the momentum of that. We can't get like, we can't, you know, feel like, oh, well, we, we, we won, we won because we didn't win. There's still so much to do. Um, Can I tell you uh, something that was not a victory? Sure. John Ossoff is married and that is very upsetting. The moment Uh, I saw him talking, I was like, ooh. And then I saw his wife and I was like, eh, whatever. Thank you to Judaism for both me, Allison, and John Ossoff. Um, <laughs> what, do we, okay. what do we rate this episode? I'm going to give it 20 out of 19 alien tentacles. Yeah! <laughs> I'm going to give it um, 7 out of 6 uh sarah's soothing podcast voice Mm. Mm -hmm. and i shall give it five out of four planned activities despite working from home (laughs) (laughs) guys on another note uh related to john ossoff do you think that sarah wants to marry me or what's the deal it's worth asking just between us is a forever dog production hosted by me allison raskin and me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa D. Motz. Executive produced by Brett Boham, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. Check out video clips of our podcast at youtube.com slash team or youtube.com slash show. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. JBU podcast on Instagram. That's our Instagram. Oh, yeah. It's very fancy. Forever. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 